focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us live here in the studio, we have our reporters Han Dan and Chung Sebom. Guys, welcome back. Hello. Good evening. Uh, we're going to start things off with uh, North Korea because, uh, you know, we've talked about despite all the uh, different provocations from the North, uh, different uh, ballistic missiles, uh, they've been rather silent uh, and this was quite unusual. But uh, North Korea did finally break its silence about the latest barrage of uh, missile test here, saying that leader Kim Jong-un was present to inspect all of the latest ballistic missile launches. Tan, again, it's been quite a while since we saw Kim in public, and now we're getting news on this. Uh, Let's get more details on this front. That's right. Appearing in public for the first time in about a month, Kim Jong-un guided and inspected all the latest exercises of North Korea's Tactical Nuclear Operation Unit from September 25th to October 9th. Uh, The unit is the unit that carried out all the latest SRBM short-range ballistic missile launches. The Korean Central News Agency released several photos marking the 77th founding anniversary of the North's ruling Workers' Party, and they showed North Korea's mini-SLBM, the KN-23 Iskander-type short-range ballistic missile, the Hwasong-12 intermediate-range ballistic missile, and super-large multiple rocket launcher, as well as Kim Jong-un instructing the artillery unit and the Air Force squadron on site. Kim at the site said that he doesn't feel the need to have talks with the what he called enemies, adding there's nothing to talk about. Instead, he stressed North Korea will bolster its nuclear capabilities in all aspects. Kim assessed that the North's nuclear combat force maintains the ability to respond quickly and accurately to emergency situations. He said that the training was the quote-unquote, verification of the operation posture of the North's war deterrent and, at the same time, an occasion that proved the reliability of the preparedness of the state nuclear defense posture. Kim Jong added that uh, recent training exercises of the nuclear operation units showed North Korea's readiness of the national nuclear defense posture and its nuclear attack capabilities to the enemies. His on-site inspections took place during uh, the joint uh, South Korea-U.S.-Japan military drills. And to this, Kim said, such international and irresponsible behavior that escalates tensions will only induce a what he called a bigger response from North Korea. So he basically doubled down that North Korea won't give up its nuclear program, saying that nuclear capabilities are what defend the dignity sovereignty and the right to the survival of North Korea. The KCNA reported that ballistic missile launching drills were carried out under the simulation of loading tactical nuclear warheads, doubling down that North Korea can now load miniaturized nuclear warheads onto their ballistic missiles. So Pyongyang has made its nuclear threat even more explicit now, as those short-range ballistic missiles all have uh, South Korea within their strike zone. That's right, and we have also seen uh, North Korea test fire intermediate-range 
ballistic missile which can strike uh, Guam where there's a U.S. base, right? And uh, we've seen, uh, we know that uh, North Korea is also capable of uh, firing uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles. So they do have the long-range missiles uh, as well. But uh, again, it is interesting the way that they say this, right? Uh, to defend the dignity and sovereignty and rights to survival of North Korea because again, I mean, despite the fact that I think we, the, the U.S., South Korea and so forth, we made it clear that there is no invasion of North Korea. Uh, they believe that it can happen anytime. The only way to deter them uh, is to have their nuclear weapons uh, available and something that I'm sure they've learned a lot from Russia during the past uh, several months now with the whole Ukraine crisis. Uh, another again, uh, we talked about another launch of the ballistic missiles by North Korea as uh, Pyongyang fired these uh, two short-range ballistic missiles towards the EC on Sunday. Uh, this right after Seoul and Washington wrapped up their uh, naval exercises involving the U.S. Car aircraft carrier the previous day. Sebom, let's get more information on the latest provocation. All right. It seems that North Korea doesn't have any intention to stop its provocations. The Joint Chief of Staff said it detected the launches from the Muncheon area in Gangwon-do province. The first one was fired at about 1.48 a.m. and the second some six minutes later. So it's around 12.48 p.m. and 12.58 p.m. in the U.S. Considering that it is the first time this year that North Korea has launched a late-night launch, it's analyzed that Pyongyang wants to show off its customized launch capabilities for each strike target by selecting different launch times and locations. The missiles flew some 350 kilometers at approach of around 90 kilometers at top speeds of Mach 5. It's Pyongyang's seventh missile provocation in two weeks following the conclusion of the South Korea-U.S. exercise involving the USS Ronald Reagan carrier on Saturday and of the Allies' trilateral drills with Japan on Thursday. It also came on the eve of the 77th anniversary of the founding of the North Ruling Workers' Party. The JCS emphasized once again that the recent series of North Korea's ballistic missiles is an act of significant provocation that undermines peace not only on the Korean peninsula but also in the international community and a clear breach of UN Security Council resolutions. And added that South Korea's military will maintain a firm readiness posture in close cooperation with the U.S. in preparation for additional provocations. Soon after the launches, JCS Chairman General Kim Seung-gyum and General Paul Lacamera, the commander of South Korea-U.S. Combined Forces Command, had virtual consultations and announced that the latest launches highlight the destabilizing impacts of Pyongyang's unlawful weapons of mass destruction and ballistic missile programs. And South Korea's top nuclear envoy Kim Gun had also back-to-back -back phone consultations with his American and Japanese counterparts and stressed that North Korea's provocations using South Korea-U.S. annual combined military drills as a pretext cannot be justified. However, North Korea said on Saturday its missile tests were for self-defense against direct U.S. military threats and had not harmed the safety of neighbors. That's right. And of course, they are going to continuously uh, reiterate the fact that it's defensive in nature, uh, despite the fact that they do not believe any of the military drills that uh, South Korea and the U.S. conduct are defensive in nature. So uh, a lot of back and forth going on. And we did uh, highly expect the, the latest uh, missile launches 
images on Sunday to happen. But uh, North Korean media uh, also having discussed photos of the SLBM launch, uh, claiming that the test was carried out underwater launch site in a reservoir. Uh, Don, firing an SLBM from a reservoir seems quite a rare tactic right now and very different from some of the other launches that we've seen. Uh, what are experts saying in regards to this? All right. The pictures released by North Korea state media shows a mini SLBM soaring from an area that appears to be a reservoir, and it claimed that the SLBM test that took place on September 25th simulated the loading of tactical nuclear warheads at an underwater launch site in a reservoir in the country's northwest. The South Korean military believes a short-range ballistic missile was fired from a transporter erector launcher in Taecheon, located in North Korea's Pyongan province. Experts agree that no other country has ever launched an SLBM from a reservoir, and so they speculate that Pyongyang may have developed a new launch platform to counter South Korea's kill chain anti-missile system. Professor Chang Young-gun at Korea Aerospace University said that it seems like North Korea is getting very creative to hide uh, its preparations or any kind of launch signs of an SLBM. As, as you know, South Korea has repeatedly warned it'll counter missiles through its kill chain system if uh, any signs of North Korea's missile launch are detected. While most experts remain skeptical about North Korea's ability to launch a real SLBM from a reservoir, they say say uh, if the Nord's claims are true, it means it will be more difficult for the South Korean military to detect and intercept North Korea's SLBM. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but it was a very creative, uh, you know, tactic, right? I mean, uh, usually what we do is when we look at all these SLBMs and all the submarines, uh, we tend to look at the, the Shinpo shipyard. That's usually where they conduct all this. But you're talking about a, a reservoir here. And this is not the first time that they've conducted drills like this, uh, missile tests, where it just kind of uh, takes, uh, you know, the U.S. and South Korea off guard because they, they've also been known to fire, test fire uh, missiles using trains. I don't know if you guys know about this, but there's like, you know, launchers off of like trains. And so like these trains are moving Moving through North Korea, and they could fire it at any will at any time. And so, again, the throwing South Korea and the U.S. Uh, off guard is what they're trying to do here. They are getting very creative with their missile tests. But about launching missiles from a train, experts yeah. say that they've seen they've seen it before in Russia. So Russia yeah, yeah, yeah. did use similar tactics, you know, launching missiles from a train, but. Launching an SLBM from a reservoir, yeah, that's just... it's the very first time, perhaps the first in the world is what experts are saying. Yeah, again, so because they, they know that with satellite imagery that we all get, all the information that we get, it's easily detectable. But when you're talking about a reservoir and then which reservoir, I mean, how many reservoirs are there in, in North Korea? And the fact that they've never done this, how are we supposed to know that? This... But so, again, uh, they're, they're mixing it up right now, trying to throw us off guard. But. It does seem overall, right, uh, you know, this, this is the, the, I guess, the pattern we're seeing. Pyongyang developing nuclear capabilities, uh, using various platforms, uh, various locations. Let's kind of get a reaction from some of the major uh, countries, including the U.S. and China. Have them tell us more. Sure. Despite North Korea's relentless provocations and pursuit of complete nuclear capabilities, Washington is still emphasizing that the importance of diplomatic solutions. 
So John Kirby, uh, National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications, said during his interview with ABC News that the U.S. is willing to sit down at the negotiating table with Pyongyang without any preconditions, while making sure that it also has the capabilities in place to defend its national security interest. But he made it clear that there is no need or reason to demonstrate their military or nuclear capabilities to each other because Washington is willing to find a diplomatic path forward with Kim Jong-un without any preconditions. Now, if we look at the reactions from China, we can feel that their position towards North Korea's provocations has slightly changed. Foreign Minister Spokesperson Mao Ning briefly said during the latest regular briefing that concerned parties will refrain from tough language and create conditions for the resumption of dialogue in a balanced manner without taking Pyongyang's aside nor criticizing Washington. It is analyzed that China is taking a step back for the success of China's party congress, which will begin in mid-October, in which President Xi Jinping's third term is expected to be settled. All right, so uh, a number of different uh, responses here. We also want to get the the South Korean government's response to Kim Jong-un's latest remarks that he doesn't feel the need to hold talks with his enemies. And this is quite interesting because before, uh, we've had statements coming in from his younger sister, Kim Yo-jung, who said that she refuses where the North Korean side refuses to hold any kind of discussions with at least the South Korean side and the U.S. side right mm-hmm. now. Now we're getting some kind of statement from Kim Jong-un himself. Uh, what's the South Korean government's response to all this, Tan? I'm afraid not much. The presidential office is yet to make a direct response to that claim, but um, the office reiterated today that it's important to accurately recognize the grave security situation on the Korean Peninsula and in Northeast Asia and make necessary preparations and countermeasures. A key presidential official relayed the message to reporters today saying that protecting the lives and the safety of the South Korean people is a matter of reality, not just words. And as North Korea ramps up its level of provocation, the South Korean government is sending back-to-back messages to the North, according to the senior presidential press secretary, Kim Moon-hae. Uh, President Jun Song-yeol vowed to bolster South Korea-U.S.-Japan security cooperation to counter North Korea's growing threat just yesterday. Uh, Tan, speaking of Japan, President Yoon, I believe, uh, also stressed uh, to Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida on the need to revitalize corporate exchanges between uh, both the South Korean and Japanese firms. Uh, this is according to the top office. Let's get more on that as well. Right. According to the presidential office, President Yoon urged the need to promote bilateral corporate exchanges between South Korean and Japanese firms during his summit with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida in New York and also during his phone talks with him uh, after the North Korea missile launch uh, that flew over Japan. During the summit in New York, Yoon told Kishida that corporate exchanges between the two nations will become more active if bilateral relations are normalized, seeking to address the economic issues that have been uh, missing between the two nations for quite some time now. According to a key presidential official, President Yoon is seeking what's called a grand bargain with Japan, aiming to lift Japan's export restrictions imposed on South Korea and also revive Jisomia, a Seoul-Tokyo military information sharing pact, by improving 
bilateral ties that have hit the lowest in decades during the Moon administration. The official said that in the Korea-Japan relationship, there has been a tendency to mention a lot of past history, security and political issues, but omit economic issues. But this time, things are quite different, is what he said. Japan slapped export curbs on South Korea in apparent retaliation against South Korea's top court ruling that ordered Japanese firms to compensate Korean victims of wartime forced labor in 2018. So move on to uh, other issues, uh, more diplomatic issues at hand. South Korea's Prime Minister Han Duk-su uh, having his three-nation trip to Chile, Uruguay, and Argentina. Uh, this to strengthen bilateral cooperations with the Latin American countries. Uh, so well, tell us uh, what he's going to discuss with the, uh, in his trips to the three nations. Uh, sure. Prime Minister Han Duk-su departed for Chile on Sunday for a three-nation trip that we also take him to Uruguay and Argentina. He is going to have talks with the presidents of the three nations and seek pathways to bolster economic cooperation with the Latin American countries. In particular, Han and the leaders of the three nations are expected to discuss measures to deepen cooperation in the field of raw materials and strategic minerals. Prime Minister Han will first visit Chile from Monday to Wednesday and have talks with Chilean President Gabriel Boric to discuss measures to deepen bilateral relations. He will then travel to Uruguay on Wednesday for a two-day official visit and hold talks with the country's president, Luis Lacalle Po, to discuss ways to strengthen economic cooperation. On his final leg of the tour, Han is scheduled to visit Argentina on Thursday for a three-day trip. He is scheduled to hold talks with Argentina's President Alberto Fernandez and attend a meeting with business leaders from the two nations. He will also ask them to support South Korea's bid to host the 2030 World Expo in Korea's southern port city of Busan. Before returning from the tour, we have to note that Prime Minister Han will drop by Atlanta in the United States to exchange with automobile and battery companies the recent developments in responding to the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. It's, it's really interesting that uh, Prime Minister Han, despite the fact that it's uh, his uh, three-country like uh, three country tours towards uh, Latin America, is still going to make that trip over to Georgia, uh, yeah. make sure that uh, there's still talks in the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which, by the way, I, I think there was news over the weekend uh, that uh, the U.S., it seems like there's some optimistic developments on uh, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, South Korea probably may, may be able to get some kind of exemption or get a grace period uh, this after the November midterm elections, as I've uh, mentioned and some of our experts on the show have mentioned as well. So uh, hopefully we'll get some uh, positive results out of that. Guys, let's move on to some COVID-19 news this time. It's been a while since we last talked about COVID-19-related stuff. Uh, The daily figure uh, that we got today uh, was uh, below 10,000. This is first time in three months. Uh, We are finally seeing the pandemic situation really stabilizing here, although uh, it is a Monday figure. We do have... Uh, the the long three-day weekend as well. Um, But uh, at the same time, health authorities are on edge as the number of influenza-like cases have surged 45% uh, in the past week, uh, fueling concerns of a possible twindemic, something that we mentioned on the program as well. Uh, Tan, let's get the latest here. 
Korea added around 8,900 new COVID cases as of midnight, dropping below the 10,000 mark for the first time since early July. But we do have to keep in mind that the number of testing was cut sharply due yeah, to the three-day yeah. Hangul holiday. Uh, situations are on a stabilizing trend, though, with a seven-day average now standing at around 21,000. We saw 47 imported cases today, down by 14 from the previous record. The number of imported cases continued to stay below 100 in the past week, largely due to the lifting of mandatory PCR tests upon entry. Over 300 COVID patients are in critical condition nationwide, with 23 deaths reported overnight. What's a Alarming, though, is that the number of suspected influenza patients in Korea jumped 45 percent in the past week. According to health officials, patients with flu-like symptoms reached 7.1 per 1,000 out-clinic patients, up by 44.9 percent from the previous week. The highest rates of flu-like cases were found in infants and young children between the ages of 1 and 6. The government issued a nationwide influenza warning last month for the first time since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic as reports of flu-like cases surpassed the average of the fall season. Korea didn't see a big spread of the seasonal influenza in the past two years thanks to strict social distancing and other quarantine measures. But as restrictions eased this year, the flu cases have already topped the seasonal average. Health experts are also warning of not just a twindemic, but a possible multidemic of COVID-19, the seasonal flu, and other respiratory diseases. In fact, the number of patients with viral acute respiratory infection reached 940 this week, and among them, nearly 300 were infected with what's called the metanumovirus. It's a common respiratory virus that causes an upper respiratory infection, causing flu-like symptoms like high fever and cuff, found especially among infants uh, among six months or 12 months old. Not a uh, single case was reported last year, uh, but now it's spreading fast among young children. Yeah, I, one of the things that I noticed uh, in the past few weeks is I, t- I send my kid over to daycare, uh, make sure that he hops on to the uh, daycare bus and things like that. It's virtually empty. There's like no kids uh, going into daycare because everyone's sick. Apparently, my kids has mm-hmm. kids got a cough too. Yeah, he he's been coughing for about two weeks, uh, and then we've you know did, conducted many tests. But uh, did he says, get the flu shot yet? No, not yet. Uh, we should have gotten it actually. Mm-hmm. It's it's a uh, they're giving it out for free, I believe, for his uh, age. But right. uh, you, we usually give him the flu shot every year. I usually get the flu shot every year as well. I don't know Better why. Hurry up! I don't know why I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, again, uh, mounting. Concern concerns uh, over this pandemic, the seasonal influenza and the COVID-19. And then Tan, of course, even talked about uh, possible multidemic as well. Uh, South Korean government, of course, rolling out their flu and COVID-19 vaccine program. Let's get some updates on that front as well, Sebom. All right. Speaking of the free vaccination program, the South Korean government is planning to provide the uh, vaccination program for free. As the type A H3N2 virus, the strongest among influenza viruses, is expected to spread this winter, the government will provide a free vaccination program starting this Wednesday so that children between 6 months and 13 years old and pregnant women and those aged over 65 can get influenza vaccines for free. 
On top of the flu vaccination program, the government will also administer additional COVID-19 vaccines using an improved version that can respond to Omicron mutations starting tomorrow. Although it is operated under the booking system, same-day vaccination is also possible. So if you want to get vaccinated, you can contact vaccine-providing medical facilities or check the remaining numbers of vaccines on social media such as Kakao Talk and Naver. Currently, those with underlying diseases, patients and workers at nursing homes and medical facilities, as well as elderly citizens aged over 60, can be first administered of improved vaccines. However, other citizens can also get the remaining vaccines if they already completed the basic series of COVID-19 vaccinations. Yeah, I mean, we've got a great system in place. And if there are leftover vaccines and things like that, I'm sure you can get it. I know there are a lot of people have been quite hesitant in whether or not they want to get their second booster shots or not, uh, whether or not you believe that it it's effective. I mean, health authorities are saying that although even with the second shot, maybe you'll get uh, reinfected, uh, but still what it does is it lowers the fatality rate. I mean, the, the chance of you actually dying from the virus. Mm-hmm. And I know because now that it's been about three years since the pandemic has started, there's people who are less concerned about COVID-19. There's less people who are uh, worried that they might. Die. The thing is, it's still, you know, unfortunately taking the lives of many people on a daily basis and a worldwide right now. And uh, unless we it's 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 not any, I guess, uh, you know, country by country, the whole world has to win this uh, fight against the pandemic before it's all over. It's not just one country individually. So uh, hopefully everyone gets their flu shots and their vaccination shots. If you are, of course, again, uh, willing to get those. Uh, let's move on to our uh, final piece here. We're going to talk about uh, more on this ongoing war in Ukraine. Of course, uh, Russia being more active, uh, more vocal about certain issues here. Multiple explosions that have hit central Kiev and other cities in Ukraine. What is believed to be retaliatory attacks by Russia following the uh, partial collapse of the Kerch Bridge linking Russia and Crimea. Tan, uh, what do we know so far now? Russia has launched a massive wave of strikes targeting cities across Ukraine, including the capital, Kyiv, during the morning rush hour, striking a major road junction and a park. Early reports said at least 10 people had been killed. According to major foreign media outlets, a wave of missiles flew in the capital and half a dozen loud detonations were heard over the course of an hour and a half. Now, this was the first attack on Kyiv in about 70 days as recent attacks mostly targeted the outskirts of the capital. Explosions also shook the cities of Lviv, Ternopil and Dnipro after overnight strikes hit the southern city of Zaporizhia for the third night in a row. The strikes on the city of Zaporizhia brought down part of a large apartment building, leaving at least a dozen people dead. According to reports, some of the targets hit in the Lviv area were parts of Ukraine's key energy infrastructure. President Volodymyr Zelensky issued a video statement via Telegram saying, I beg you, do not leave shelters. Take care of yourself and your loved ones. Let's hold on and be strong. The missile strikes come in apparent retaliation by Russia. 
President Putin said on Sunday that a blast a day earlier on the bridge over the Kerch Strait, a major supply route for Moscow's forces in southern Ukraine, was, quote unquote, an act of terrorism aimed at destroying critically important civilian infrastructure. He went on to say that the bridge attack was devised, carried out and ordered by the Ukrainian special services. Ukraine has not claimed responsibility for the blast. Traffic over the bridge was temporarily suspended after the blast, but both automobiles and trains were crossing again uh, on Sunday. Russia also restarted a car ferry service. Now, this has, of course, uh, been the most frustrating part about the war in Ukraine for many, many months now, is uh, whether whether or not Ukraine is responsible for that uh, attack on the bridge. The fact that Russia, when it does conduct these uh, attacks in uh, Ukraine, it's areas where there's a lot of civilians, right? I mean, they say that they're targeting only military uh, infrastructures or energy infrastructures or things like that. But the fact is, I don't know about any parks that have military infrastructures. I don't know any about anything about any uh, shopping centers that have uh, military infrastructures or, or, or kindergartens or, or these schools or hospitals. Uh, the fact that many innocent lives are dying and they're being targeted throughout this war, it is the most frustrating thing uh, out about all this. And the fact that, I mean, this war is nowhere near right now from being over. Uh, it seems like uh, Putin does have uh, several hands up his sleeve at this time. Uh, but let's go back to this attack on the bridge, uh, the bridge explosion. I mean, this is... In some ways, and then we've seen uh, Vladimir Putin has been in several for several weeks now. I've been humiliated. Uh, he's has not obviously said that you know he's taken a huge hit or anything. He'll never accept uh, you know losses. But you know what's happening so far uh, with all these uh, the the bridge explosion being called a fatal blow and humiliation to uh, Russia, uh, considering that military officials and politicians are already calling for revenge. Uh, Seba, why is this bridge uh, so important to Russia that we're getting these retaliatory measures where they're uh, basically targeting civilians once again? Okay, I think we should first look at this incident from the military perspective. The bridge linking Crimea to mainland Russia is a critical military supply route for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So any serious impediment to traffic on the bridge could have a profound effect on Russia's ability to wage war in southern Ukraine, in which Ukraine forces have been fighting an increasingly effective counteroffensive. So without the breach, analysts said the Russian military will be severely limited in its ability to bring fuel, equipment, and ammunition to Russian units fighting in the Kherson and Zaporizhia regions. Two of the four Ukraine provinces that Putin announced Russia has annexed on September 30th. And from the viewpoint of Ukraine, the explosion itself is not necessarily a decisive victory. However, the balance of war can be shifted towards Ukraine by accumulating lesser victories and putting more pressure on Putin. The breach has also a symbolic meaning for Putin. It's because he personally opened the breach in 2018 by driving a truck by himself after Moscow seized the peninsula from Ukraine in 2014. And he, ha and he has used the breach as a political asset since then. 
as the two sim- symbols of Russia's prestige, the Russian worship Moskva and the Kerch Bridge, have gone down by Ukraine, it can feel like a highly personal affront for Putin. Against this backdrop, hardline Russians are already calling for revenge, increasing concerns that Moscow may use its nuclear weapons as a last resort, as Putin repeatedly cautioned the West that any attack on Russia could provoke a nuclear response. Also, hours after the explosion, Russia appointed General Sergei Surovikin as yet another new commander to oversee its forces in Ukraine. Uh, you know, this is, um, again, whether or not, and and there is a reason why Ukraine isn't going to directly say, oh, we were responsible for the attack on the bridge. Because, again, now, if it is part of, it is, I mean, Crimea, right? It's been annexed by Russia. Uh, You know, Russia claims to be, you know, their territory. So it is technically an attack in their own territory. And Putin did already warn that if there's any kind of attack on Russian soil, then we are going to respond with nuclear weapons. Don Pack saying Putin seems to get crazy and he's going to be using nuclear weapons. I... I, I think it's possible. It's yeah. It's somehow a lot more threatening when Putin says it than when North mm-hmm. Korean leader Kim Jong Un talks about using nuclear weapons, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that it's it's a different thing here. Whereas it does seem like uh, with with Kim Jong Un, he has a lot to lose, right? He has he's yeah. got a lot to lose if he does end up using uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, whereas Putin, I think he's one of those guys. Just, I think he has nothing to lose at this time. And you're and when you're they're saying that there are high level hardline Russians who are basically pushing now for Putin. Basically, going Putin, are you, are you really gonna let them do that to you? You're, you're Vladimir Putin. You're how, how, are you really gonna just sit back because they just destroyed a, a, a bridge that's very symbolic for you? And come on, that's Russian territory. You said you're gonna use the nuclear weapons. Are gonna use, and so now they're continuing to push this. And what it seemed like was going to be probably like last resort for Putin, right? They were saying that if everything fails, if like, uh, you know, despite the, the partial uh, mobilization decree, uh, the annexation, again, we had the referendums on the, the four regions, uh, if they continue to fight and then they're losing. Last resort was supposed to be, uh, you know, nuclear weapon usage. And uh, now it seems like it's been pulled back and he, that might be the next option that they'll use. Uh, the, the craziest thing out of all this is because ever since, uh, you know, back in World War II, nuclear weapons have not been used. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how the international community is going to respond to this. We don't know how the U.S. is going to re- respond to this because you said, so U.S. said, if you use the nuclear weapons, uh, oh, then you're going to uh, open the floodgates and that's the Pandora's box. But how do you respond to that? Is that going to be an all-out uh, nuclear war that we're going to see? You know, what scares me the most is the fact that, you know, we all know that Putin won't use uh, nuclear, uh, large-scale nuclear weapons no, no. that will blow, I don't know, maybe blow off half of Europe. Of course, he's not going to do that. No. But there is some possibility that he may use the smaller-scale tactical nuclear weapons. And there is, uh, experts are also saying there is quite a possibility that Putin may actually forge ahead with using those tactical nuclear weapons that's what scares me yeah and then the other option that they you know probably putin has is using chemical weapons right there's already been kind of speculations that maybe he's already using chemical weapons in some of these regions uh that could be another thing but you're right i mean when we talk about nuclear weapons there's different scales uh, i think like the, the one the russia had the biggest one they have is called like the, the big czar or something like that the great czar or something like that so, 
massive, massive nuclear weapon. But you're right, they're not going to just use that. And also, the other thing that we've uh, discussed with our experts before is, if they do decide to use nuclear weapons, where are they going to use it? Are they going to just randomly pick like a major city and just wipe out a million people? Uh, because then it's it's going to call for a, you know, obviously NATO is going to respond to that. Uh, and then, you know, the U.S. is going to respond to that. Then you have a nuclear war. So is Putin that brazen to actually use nuclear weapons, uh, not knowing what the, the response from the international community is going to be? And that's the scariest thing, right? The unknowns, right? That's, we always say the unknowns knowns are a scary thing and this is what we're facing right now so uh we're just hoping that this uh this explosion on the bridge isn't going to open the floodgates and uh push putin to actually go through with the nuclear weapons because i some people say that it's a bluff i i honestly don't think it's a bluff to be honest with you uh nevertheless guys thank you very much uh for coming in on this extended holiday on this monday uh, please stay safe and uh, we'll see you guys again thank, thank you. you very much you can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.